Well, good morning. Good morning. I uh, shared this with first service, so I feel like I have to share with you as well. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but lets you know on one of my little quirky, weird things or whatever. But every once in a while where I'm like, I, I'm, I don't preach for a while, um, I get more nervous when I get, get back into things or whatever. And, and as I'm sitting there, like, like uh, getting ready to come back up, uh, I revert back to my old classic rock days. And uh, I think of that Aerosmith song, like, I'm back in the saddle again. I know it's... I don't even know what that song's about, but I'm redeeming it for Jesus this morning. So that's like the loop in my head going. Okay, so Wes mentioned we're going to, no, yeah, that didn't, I don't know why I shared that, but anyways. <clears throat> so we are going to finish up the Kingdom series this week. Um, I hope it's been a good series for you. I'm not going to quiz you in a few minutes, but uh, be thinking about what, what the definition of the kingdom of God is because I'm going to ask you about it. I'm not going to do a show of hands or anything, but we're going we're gonna to wrap it up this morning. So I want to ask a question to get things going. I personally think it's a good question, but I don't know if you will. The question is this, what are you working towards? What are you working towards with your life? I'm aware of school starting back up. There's some teachers, uh, some students in here. What are you working towards with your life? You're working towards getting an A, maybe getting, getting a C, right? C's get degrees. Sorry, parents, it's true. They do, they do. If you're giving your best, C's count, right? They work. Uh, maybe it's working for the championship in whatever sport you're in. I don't know, what are you working towards? If you're a teacher, maybe it's uh, getting the standardized test scores up or getting more creative with your lesson plan. You wanna be an awesome teacher. What are you working towards with your life? And the rest of y'all can think about that. If you're a student, you're working towards a scholarship, getting a career, you're working towards a high-paying job, you're working towards marriage, having family and kids, wealth, you're just working for pleasure, you're just here to have a good time, right? Luxury, security, we're all working for retirement, right? What are you working towards? I asked that question this morning because I think it gets at the heart of today's message. We're going to focus in on the future kingdom of heaven. Now, as I've said, we've spent the whole summer talking about the kingdom of heaven, and I don't know who in here remembers. You all remember what the, the definition of what the kingdom of God is? Hopefully you remember at least the gist of it, if not word for word. It's this. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is God's reign through God's people, over God's place. It's an amazing definition. It's, it's simple, clear, and yet incredibly profound. And I want you to remember it. So I'm going to ask you to do something that nobody likes. I'm going to ask you to say it with me. You ready? What's the kingdom of God? It's God's reign through God's people over God's place. I love this definition. It's crazy if you really think about it, isn't it? The perfect all-powerful creator God reigns. You might say, that's not that crazy. You're right, right? We've seen superheroes. We've seen powerful people. Powerful people reign. It's what they do. It's what they do. Of course he reigns. God is the most powerful person ever, who ever was, whoever will be. He's the greatest power in the history of mankind, in the history of anything. Of course he reigns. He's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. And I love this last one. He's the definition and source of infinity. Of course he reigns. Nothing crazy about that. 
And because he is who he is, nothing crazy about the fact that he has a kingdom that he reigns over. That ain't crazy. What is crazy is how he chooses to reign. Think about the powerful people you know, politicians. Think about the powerful. How do they reign? They reign over people, right? They manipulate and maneuver to hoard their power for themselves, to get more, to take. How does our God reign? Not over his people, through them. He invites us to reign with him. He gives his power and authority to his subjects to rule and reign with him. This is crazy talk. It's crazy. We've never seen someone with that much power give it away. But that's what he does because our God is distinct. He is holy. He is separate. He reigns through his people over his place. See, where his reign is through his people over his place. We've learned through this series, I hope, that is where God's kingdom is. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is among you because we can live under, in, under the reign of God, in the reign of God, with the reign of God in our place, and that is where we take the kingdom. It's how we invest our life, which brings me back to my first question. What are you working towards? What are you seeking in this life? I hope that as we've gone through this series, you can see how if your answer is not the kingdom of God, whatever you're seeking falls so far short of the glorious purpose and grandeur of what God has prepared you for and invited you into. Let me flesh that out for you a little bit. Think, think about the people that only live for retirement. Think about the people that only live for retirement. Retirement's not a bad thing, right? You can shift from doing something you had to do to shift into something that you get to do, and hopefully that's something you get to do for Jesus. Some people live just for retirement. And when you compare that to working for God's kingdom, is there any comparison? Is there any comparison to spending your entire life's work to sock away a savings so that you can move down to some beach and collect seashells and then die? compared to investing into eternity? Is there even any comparison? What about college? You student, you work hard, you're slaving away, good for you. That's good, you should. But don't work just for that. So you get good grades, you go to a good school, then what? You get a good job, a high paying job so you can buy stuff, then what? Then you die. Then you die. What a waste. What a waste of a good life that the Lord has given you to invest in eternity in the kingdom of heaven. Don't get me wrong, these things are good. Going to college, it's good. Going to a trade school, going to right into the workforce, it's good. Retiring, getting married, staying single, all good things. But friends, those are not what we invest our life on or into. Those goals, those ends are so much less than what God desires to give to you. You may retire. Good for you. Seriously, good for you. That's a blessing. You may get married. You might get A's. You might go to college. You might go to that trade school, get a job you like, when you're passionate about. You make meaningful things. You put in a hard day's work. You're, you feel like you did something. Good for you. Praise God. But don't waste your work solely on those finite ends. Those aren't eternal. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these other things will be transformed 
into eternal things will be added unto you. So I ask you again, what are you working towards? To say it another way, what are you seeking first? Is it God's kingdom, his reign through you over wherever you're at, or is it something less than that? Church, unless Jesus comes back before this, you and I are going to die. But praise God, this life is not the end. In Jesus, there is so much more that he has prepared for us. And this is my point for the message this morning. What you and I believe about the future will shape how you live in the present. What you believe about the future will shape how you live in the present. There is a not yet that we are working towards, something that we are looking forward to in Jesus. We don't yet have it. It's a not yet. But the very assumption of those words assumes that it's coming, right? It assumes that it's coming. Do you know the not yet, the future to which you have been called? Do you know the reality of heaven? I believe you do. I believe you get glimpses of it every once in a while. The Apostle Paul explains it like this. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, he says, but then, when the not yet becomes a reality, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. My translation, you and I are currently living in a shadow land. A shadow land. We catch glimpses, we catch shadows of what the future of heaven holds for us. When you and I enjoy a delicious meal, lean back with a full belly, not too full, just full. Think, man, that was good. Catch a glimpse of heaven. When you go on that vacation, and it's just, this is nothing better. You catch a glimpse of heaven. When you choose to obey the Lord's command and take a Sabbath, whether it's a Saturday or Sunday, whatever, when you rest for a whole day, you set aside the pressures of work You rest, you worship, you slow down, you fellowship with friends, with believers. You take in leisure activities. You catch a little glimpse of heaven. When you take in a beautiful sunset or you leave a friend's house and you leave just feeling blessed that you have friends, loved, replenished, revitalized, you are seeing and experiencing just a shadow, just a little glimpse of heaven. When you go to work, whatever your work is, and sometimes it's a curse, but sometimes you do what you do and it's like, man, I love this. You come home and you're tired because you worked hard, but your task, you completed it, and you think back, it's like, man, I I did something worthwhile today. You feel satisfaction in that work. Friend, that's a little glimpse of heaven. It's a little glimpse of heaven. When you find yourself reflecting back on seasons, on days with fondness that fill your heart with joy and peace, when you remember what it was like to stand in a delivery room and watch your life bring a life into this world, when you think back on other seasons, other days, and your heart is strangely warmed, you know the feeling. You feel full. Your heart is warmed. 
you are experiencing glimpses and shadows of heaven, tastes of heaven. See, heaven and I, or heaven is what you and I were made for, church. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he set eternity in the heart of man. My translation. Hidden within each and every one of us is some faint memory of the Garden of Eden. If you've read any of the scripture, hopefully you've read a little bit in Genesis, you've read about what it was like when God created. We're told that Adam and Eve walked with man or with God in the cool of of the day in the garden. They spoke with God as you would speak to a friend in fellowship. There was meaningful work to be done, work without a curse. I just planted a garden this year. I planted some broccoli. I don't love broccoli, but I thought it'd be fun to plant my own. Well, I planted it. And it came up and it was doing really well and I went out one day and there was these stinking little green caterpillars that ate all of it. All of it. So I went to the store. I was going to do the organic thing. Clearly that wasn't working. So I've got the insecticide and I killed those guys, right? (laughs) And I took pleasure in it. It's like, you're going to eat my broccoli. Imagine what it would be like to garden without bugs that eat our stuff. Imagine what it's going to be like to work without the curse where you'd be able to swing a hammer and hit the nail instead of your thumb. Imagine what that is going to be like. Meaningful work. You see, you and I have this longing for Eden, where we're not just floating around on harps, but where we're doing meaningful work, united with our fellow mankind, working with angels also, divine beings, and communing with our Heavenly Father perfectly. We long for Eden. That is what heaven will be like. It's not this misty, meaningless, floating around on a cloud like chubby babies in diapers, right? Strumming harps. That is not what God is calling us to. Praise God, that is not what God is calling us to. How boring would that be? So boring. No, when the Bible speaks of heaven, when it speaks of salvation and the future culmination of all things, It doesn't teach us that we leave earth for this weird, misty, floating around like a baby in a diaper existence. No, that would be so boring. The Bible offers us a better hope. I have a video here that shows what the Bible offers. It's about heaven and earth coming together. Jeremy Treat does a good job of explaining this. He says, Revelation 21 teaches that salvation is not leaving the earth for heaven. It's the renewal of heaven and earth. It's the reconciling power of God's grace bringing heaven and earth together as they were always meant to be. The new creation is physical, bodies, and also spiritual, where we will eat, praise God, where we will play and work and love and do so apart from the toil and pain of this sinful world. The Bible is not a rescue story or the the Bible is a rescue story, but it's not about God rescuing sinners from a broken creation. It's about God rescuing sinners for a new creation. Treat continues. He says this new creation will be everything that Eden was meant to be. Forget about the clouds and harps. The new creation will be like a city, a garden city, with streets and creativity and people and culture. The city, according to Revelation 22, it has a river and a tree of life on both sides and the, it brings healing to the nations. Treat says this city will be like a city we've never seen before. Bigger than Tokyo, which the Olympics were just there. If you saw some of the scenes, it's a big place. 
more creative than Los Angeles, more fashionable than London or Paris, better architecture than Chicago or Italy, better weather than Honolulu. Now, as we talk about the new heavens and the new earth and the city of God, I recognize that we live in a flyover place, right? And most of us are proud of it. Rural Northwest Ohio, come on, right? That's where we live. We love it. We don't like the city. We don't like city people, city folk, right? That might need to be something you need to work out with Jesus. We love all people, but I hear you. We don't like the city for two reasons. We don't like it. One, because we're probably a little misinformed or we've had a bad experience. The main reason we don't often like cities is because the cities we know are corrupt. They're corrupt, right? There's a lot to love about a city. I love living in rural Northwest Ohio. Henry County, Napoleon, I love it. But there are some things that I don't love about it that the city has to offer. One of those things is food, right? We have some awesome restaurants here, but we only have a few. And you can only eat Outlaw and the Mexican stuff and and Ninja so many times before it's like, I'm kind of tired of this, right? We don't have diversity. We don't have diversity in a lot of ways. We have some, but not compared to a city. They have so much diversity. They have so much diversity. And again, I, I realize that thinking about rubbing shoulders with, with people from strange lands, with, with foreign food and different cultures and traditions. For us, meat and, pato- meat and potato Westerners, Midwesterners, that can be a little scary. But imagine that diversity and culture without sin, without the need to compare one another, without the pressures to, to work and provide because God's taking care of our need. Imagine being able to sit down with these people, with people from the Netherlands, from South Africa, from Asia, Imagine being able to sit down and have a a delicious meal with them and hear about their life story. Imagine being able to sit down with one of the beasts in Isaiah 6. One of the beasts that looks like a lion, head of a lion and multiple eyes and a wing and eagle's feet, all the... Imagine being able to talk to that guy. Bet his voice is deep, right? How amazing. What a joy. What a privilege. This is your future. This is what God has for you, that he's inviting you into meaningful work, deep community with himself and with others, people and divine beings. Church, when we believe, or what we believe about the future will shape how you and I live in the present. That's the not yet. That's what we're working towards. We know we're not there yet. We catch glimpses of it occasionally but we know we're not yet there. We're well acquainted with the not yet, aren't we? We are. Is dinner ready? Not yet, right? Can we open these gifts yet, Dad? Not yet. Can I have a phone? No. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Are we there? Not yet, and quit asking. Do I have enough to retire? Not yet. See, in all of these normal scenarios of life, we're moving towards a not yet. We have experience with the not yet. For whatever reason, we're not yet ready for the not yet. There's an outside factor that's determining when we get ready, right? Sometimes time is required, as with dinner. It's gonna take me a minute to chop and do all this stuff and put it in the oven. You gotta wait. Time is required. Other times, the schedule determines when our family, or or when we get to open presents. We're waiting on aunt and uncle, right? They're always late. You can open the presents, but we gotta wait. It's not yet. It's coming. 
Sometimes maturity is required. My children are not getting a smartphone until they're mature enough. And even then when they do, there's going to be parameters so their little eyes and little ears don't hear and see things they shouldn't. See, we have experience with not yet. And we're okay with the not yet because we know it's coming. We know it's coming. There are plenty of not yets in our lives. Graduation, marriage, waiting for children. Some of y'all are waiting for a long time. I pray for you. I don't know who you are, but as we bring children into crossroads, our church is growing, right? Through birth. Praise Jesus. I know that's painful for some of you because you've waited and you've tried and you're trying. It's a big not yet. We're praying with you. We're praying that that not yet will become, will, will become a, a reality for you. Grandchildren, vacation, not yet. Retirement, not yet. You see, all of these not yets, we don't get to skip over the already, the present. It requires something of us to get there. Graduation requires you do the classwork. Having children and at least raising them requires a spouse, contrary to what culture might say. Vacation requires savings and planning and preparation. Require, or retirement requires time and investment. And so too with these examples. Setting our sights on the not yet of heaven will compel us to live differently in the future. What we believe about the future will drastically alter, alter how we live in the already. And so I want to spend the remaining time that we have together unpacking what our future is for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have found their names written in the Lamb's book of life. And I hope that as we think about the not yet and we live with glimpses of it, hopefully in this church through our community, that you will learn to live for and from that not yet with hope and intentional purpose, seeking God's kingdom first. With that in mind, let's turn to Revelation 21 and work through it together. This is the Apostle John who's received a vision from God about our future. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband coming down the aisle. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. He will be their God and, he will, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. Let me just stop there and inject a hearty, let's go. Let's go, right? How many of you have been frustrated in your relationship with God because he feels distant, because things are unclear, because your faith has been a struggle, because it feels like there's a barrier between you and God. First, let me say, loved one, don't be discouraged. God is with you as we just sang and reminded our hearts, even when we don't feel it, even when we can't see it. He is working. He is a way maker. He is there. He is with you through the Holy Spirit. But as the Apostle Paul says, we see dimly. We know in part. One day though, when Jesus comes, we will see clearly. We will see God face to face. He will walk with us. We will be his people, and he will be our God. Let's go. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. And when he comes, look at what he's going to do. Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Those of you struggling with infertility, 
Those of you who lost loved ones. Those of you who got that diagnosis. Those of you with wayward children. The Father's gonna wipe the tears from your eyes. There will be more, no more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. All of these things are gone forever. Forever. Imagine that if you can. I know it's hard. No pain, no death, no sorrow, no grief, no sin. Gone. As the chubby kid from the Sandlot said, forever, right? Forever. Verse five, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. In Sally Lloyd-Jones, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, I love it, it's not just for kids, it's for adults too. She's got a way with words. She said when Jesus comes, he is gonna make all the sad things come untrue. He is gonna make all the sad things come untrue. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Hey John, write this down, brother. Take it to the bank, the not yet you're glimpsing. It's coming, it's trustworthy and true. Verse six, and he said, also, it is finished. I am the alpha and the, the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, to all who long for Eden, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life, and all who are victorious will inherit all the blessings, all the blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children, my children. You are a child of God, and he loves you, but the cowards, the unbelievers, the corrupt, the murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, come to me, and I will show you the bride the wife of the lamb. And so he took me up in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. Now I want you to notice two things here. First, we don't build this kingdom. We receive it from God. He builds it. We receive it. Secondly, I want you to get in the right headspace. I want you to imagine it's like the day before Valentine's Day, maybe the day of, right? And you realize I should get something nice for my loved one. And you start thinking like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spring for some jewelry this year. I hate that stuff, right? It's minerals. It's expensive. It's, it's not, I'm not into it. I'm not really romantic. Pray for my wife. Okay? But anyways, love compels you. Because why else would you buy that expensive rock? Love compels you. And you're, you're going to spring for some good, like, you're not just going to go to Jared. You're going to Tiffany's. Y'all seen Tiffany's before? I've never been in there. I've walked by it on, on the city street. You look in, it's like just sleek floors. Everything's pristine, pristine. It's polished and, and sparkles. There's jewels of oh, every kind of color. It's crazy. You're gonna go in there to buy something nice for the person you love. Get that picture in your mind. And as you have it, I want you to keep that in your mind and listen to what God has prepared for his beloved bride, the church city built from jewelry. 
Talk about lavish and extravagant and glorious love. John says, he took me up in the spirit onto a high mountain and I saw the city descending from a heaven and it shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates that guarded by 12 angels, magnificent beings. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. And there were three gates on each side, east, north, south, west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones of jewelry. And on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the angel who talked to me, he held out his hand like a golden measuring stick. And he measured the city and its gates and his walls. And when he measured it, he found that it was square. As long as it was wide, it was a cube. As long as it was wide, it was high. And he found that it was 14 miles in length and width and height. Let me just pause there for a second. Folks, we've built some pretty impressive cities over the years. If you've been to them, you go around, and if you're like a small-town guy like me, you find yourself looking up at all the buildings, right? In awe of what? Of man's achievement. Look at what we've built. It's impressive. It fills you with a sense of awe. It makes you feel like you're a part of something when you're in a city because it's just so much bigger than you. It's filled with glory and majesty if you can overlook the homeless and some of the stinky stuff on the side, right? Some of our cities are corrupt. There's a lot of glory to be held there, though. One of the most glorious cities that exists in the world is Dubai. You can look it up. In the 90s, if you look it up on Google Map, it's literally a desert. There's nothing. It's sand. Today, it is a lush garden city. It is home to not just one, but two of the world's largest buildings. One of them is called the Burj Khalifa. It's 2,700 feet high. Impressive. Majestic. Glorious. God's city is 1,400 miles high. It would take 2,700 of our tallest buildings stacked on top of one another to match the Lord's height of his city. Man's glory, it ain't got nothing on God's glory. The city's gonna take your breath away. Verse 17, then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick according to the human standard used by the angel. Then the, the walls were made of jasper and the city was pure gold. And the wall of the city was built on a foundation with stones, precious stones, jewelry of every color you can imagine. And the 12 gates, verse 21, were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. Did you know I looked this up? We found a pearl, a big one, in our world. It's two feet across. It cost $100 million if you want to have it in your house. The Lord's city has 12 gates fashioned each from one single pearl. And his streets are paved with gold. Those of you who know anything about concrete, you ever thought about putting concrete in your driveway? It's about 120 bucks a yard. It's expensive. That's why most of us don't have it, right? Do you know how much a, a yard of gold would cost? $918 million. Cool bill. Bill isn't billion, right? God's city is 1,400 miles length, wide and across. million per yard to pave those streets. 
and it gets better. Verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and his Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for sun or moon, for the glory of the Lord illuminates this city. The Lamb is its light, and the nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter into this city in all of their glory. And its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night. Night is scary. Night's when the thieves come out. There is no night in this city, and all the nations will bring their glory and honor into this city. God's glory will be its light. He will be there with his people. We will see and walk with him face to face. And what's better, he will take all of the meaningful things you create in this world, all of the meaningful things you develop, science, technology. I believe this based on these verses, verses 24 through 26. He says the kings will bring in their glory. The nations will bring in their glory and honor. This means whatever is beautiful and good that you create, God is gonna bring into this new city. This means there's gonna be street tacos in heaven. Praise Jesus, right? There is. Gino's East is probably gonna have a pizza shop in there because it's the best pizza that exists in this world. It's only gonna get better in heaven. It's true. I don't know how all that's gonna play out. But if we think about our definition, God's reign through his people over his place, seems to me that it would make sense that as God reigns through his people over this place, that that reign and the, the good things that we create here, that he would redeem and restore and remove the curse from in the new life. He ain't gonna be floating around in heaven. It's gonna be fun. And just so we're clear, verse 27, nothing evil will be allowed to enter there. Nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. What are you working towards, church? Is your name in the book of life? Is your name in the book of life? This popular idea of heaven of floating around in some misty, weird experience, we don't want that. We don't long for that. That's not what the Lord's gonna give us. It's not what the Lord's gonna give us. I was talking to my kids this week. I knew we were gonna talk about heaven, so over dinner I just asked the question because I wanted to hear what they would say. Guys, what do you, you get any questions about heaven? What do you think, what do you think's gonna be in heaven? My little Graham, he's five, he said, well, I know Jesus is going to make a place for us. I know it's going to be good, and there aren't going to be any bugs there. I said, okay. Ellie, we asked Ellie, she said, well, I know Jesus, Jesus is going to be there, so it's going to be good. My mommy and daddy are going to be there too, because they know Jesus. Clark agreed with both of them. Out of the mouths of babes, right? Heaven's going to be good because God is there. Because Jesus is there. Your loved ones will be there if they know that truth now. We will have meaningful work. It's going to be glorious. It will be precisely what you and I are longing for. So I ask you again, what are you working towards? Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you, friend. Do you believe it? Are you living for it from him now? I don't know about the not being bugs in heaven thing, but if there are bugs, I know they, they aren't going to get after and destroy our stuff. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. What are you working towards, friends? What are you investing your life in? Again, from Jesus, don't worry about these things. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father, he already knows all your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us a vision of the not yet. Lord, our heart aches. Our world groans in anticipation, in birth pains, as we wait for the old things to die and the new things to come. We look forward to, we long for heaven and earth together in one place where you will walk with us, where we will be your people and you will be our God, where there will be meaningful work, where there will be perfect communion with others, with divine angelic beings and with you in our presence, not dimly, but clearly, more fully and more completely. Lord Jesus, as we look forward to that not yet, would you fill our hearts with hope Would you give us the perseverance, the strength to persevere in this present moment as we look forward to what you're bringing? And Father, may this church increasingly so become all the more, a little bit bit more perfectly, a glimpse of heaven where people from every walk of life, every station in life are united They love one another. They live in community. They share one another's burdens. May this church be a glimpse of heaven. Set us on a hill, Lord, to display to the rest of the world the not yet that they too can look forward to in Christ. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly to this end. We pray this for your glory and for our joy. Amen.